Did you know Dr. Michael Morbius is also a Nobel Prize winner? Stick around for the answer to see what he won it for. Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. Hello and welcome to episode 19 for March 8th, 2022. For this week, I've decided to go with the vampire theme. Why? Because I'm the host and I can do whatever I want. But, no, seriously, I've always loved vampires. And I wanted to do a little something on Morbius without feeling like I'm jumping on that Morbius bandwagon. Yes, rightfully so, lots of stuff should be put together to celebrate the good doctor, both in podcasts and articles and videos. But jumping on the latest hot comic trend is not what this podcast is about from the start. I've nothing against covering new comics, even great comics. I love seeing Cleo as a new Sorcerer Supreme, and I have a few words to say about John Kent. Maybe I'll get around to it, maybe not. For this episode, I decided to talk about my first Morbius story that goes all the way back to 1977 and the pages of Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Even after all these years, I still think it makes a great read, and I think you will also. I need to give a good shout out here and thank you to the fine folks at South Point Press for providing me review copies for Cult of Dracula. I can't say enough good things about the comic. And rounding out this episode is Archie Comics Pep Digital 31, The Vampire Saga. Again, I was looking for something a little different and fun, which this comic succeeded beyond my expectations. I've always looking for a great way to plug more Archie Comics because they are a legacy company that consistently puts up great comics. When I was putting together the idea of the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast, I had specific rules, which over the past few months I've stuck to with each of the episodes. For example, I decided on bite-sized episodes and segments within the episodes to also be bite-sized. Sometimes, as in case here, I wanted to do more. I thought about covering the X-Men's first meetings with Dracula, or covering the Eye Vampire Tales from the Old House of Mystery, or even more recently, the Great Vampire Story from Vampire State Building, or, well, you get the point. Even the segment presented this time around, oh, I could have talked a lot longer about each of them. Personally, it is a fine line between someone saying, I really, really gotta check this out, and me telling too much and spoiling the fun. Well, now let's get on with the podcast. Oh, and one more thing. Please look at the show notes on where you can follow the podcast social media accounts. And I would love to hear you. Hear from you at Fantastic Comic Fan, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. I am always on the lookout for something different to read. The problem usually revolves around sorting through the tons of great comics being put out today, especially comics put out by publishers other than the big ones. Unfortunately, it is hard to find hidden gems unless you're one of those big publishers. Smaller, and mid-sized publishers' great comics often get sidelined. One such company is Source Point Press, which has been putting out high-quality comics for years. Admittedly, I know very little about Source Point Press. That's not an excuse. 
but an example of how hard it is to find alternative publishers to the big ones. There are so many comics that demand more attention, and I've been poking around in the many gems SourcePoint has to offer. So that brings me to the Cult of Dracula series from Rich Davis, Henry Martinez, and Puez Cazada. The creation of the comic isn't how you might expect it to unfold. The series actually began as a stage production in North Carolina, which caught the eye of writer Rich Davis. At first, he tried adapting as a screenplay, and then ultimately selling on the comic book form. The ideas and concepts of horror come in all forms. And right from the first pages of the first issue and deaths, you get the sense that the creators are not pulling any punches. Of course, not all vampire comics are horror comics, but this one definitely is, and it makes for a fantastic ride. Let's pause for a moment and give artist Henry Martinez his due. At times, it seems that writers and artists get credit as individuals and not as a team. Now, diehard fans might remember Martinez's work in the mid-1990s for his Blade and Ghost Rider work, but in Cult, you get a different kind of style from Martinez. Part of it is that not being constrained by the do's and don'ts of mainstream publishers. I think it is more than that, though. These are different times, and comic can do almost anything. Here, in Cult of Dracula, you get the delicious melding of creators, where they are both on the same page, to horrific effect, and I mean that in a good way. Unfortunately, Martinez could not continue on the book, and... Huey's Cazalda, gosh, I hope I didn't screw that up too badly, picked up the art chores. You know how sometimes when a comic switches artists and the change is less than stellar? Not so here. He is no stranger to the horror genre. You can look at his work through American Mythology Productions. His art style fits directly into the main story. Both artists and Davis weave a reimagining of Stoker's novel into a terrifying tale set in modern times. Mixed in with new spins on classic Stoker characters, like the defrocked priest, who's now a college professor, Abraham Van Helsing, is the new character, Special Agent Malcolm Braun, who initially gets called in to investigate a horrific crime, but instead acts as a nice bridge to a more sinister story that he and the readers would not expect coming. The comic is far different than your typical vampire comic. Even Dracula is not what you expect. No spoilers. I wouldn't want to take away from the fun or horror of it all. Overall, I think it would be more than pleasantly surprised because it takes Dracula, vampires, and even the horror genre in bloody, well, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean bold new directions. Why don't you give it a try out? See what you think. Once upon, Spidey wasn't everywhere. For nearly 15 years, there was only the Amazing Spider-Man comic. Yes, Marvel did get around to launching Marvel Team-Up, but these Spidey Team-Ups, with a who's who of Marvel at times, didn't always connect to the main Spidey's continuity. That all changed in 1976, when Marvel finally gave Peter a second title, aptly named Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Unlike today, these two bronze series told their own stories, and there was no need to jump between the two titles. Instead, they both nicely complemented the Spidey mythos. Now, back then, Morbius was a relatively new character and only been around for a few years. 
See, for many years, due to the comic code, yes, all you new fans, there used to be a code, vampires were not permitted in comics. A vision in the early 80s allowed for vampires, werewolves, and other spooky characters like Morbius. I'm showing my age, but 1977 was like my golden age for comics. Truthfully, the golden age feeling never died. I still love reading comics, current and old favorites. But in 1977, I was 10. And looking back, I wish you had the appreciation that I have of creators today back then. Believe it or not, true believers, there was no such things as comic book shops. I'd often get down on my grubby little knees and thumb through issues. Lots of places didn't have spinner racks, old horrors, and comics were usually shoved in a big pile. But, of course, that was also the fun of it. You never knew what would pop up as you were thumbing through these issues. That takes me to Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, number seven. The cover by Dave Cockrum and Al Milgram. Who the heck were they? The cover itself, though, practically shouted, by me. There was a sinister, menacing Morbius in the background, all fangs, and reaching out to Spidey, swinging away with Gloria Grant, who looked positively scared to death. Spider-Man and some wannabe vampire? Oh, I'm in all the way. Right from page one. Cry mayhem, cry Morbius. Actually, a typical-sounding Bronze Age title for a story. There's action with Spidey beating up some baddies. The art's pretty good, said that 10-year-old me. Archie Goodwin writer, who cares? But look at that art, Sal something. Of course, that was Sal Buscema, one of Marvel's great masters. And Archie Goodwin was no slouch either. Again, I wish I had appreciation then that I have now of those creators. Several pages in, Morbius finally shows up, and what the heck took him so long? He looks sinister and evil. There's a nasty storm going on that only makes Morbius, Morbius look even more of a baddie. But he's not himself. You see, he's possessed, by, he's possessed by some lame old character called the Empathoid. The only good thing about the lame old baddie is that it takes Morbius towards the Daily Bugle. Back then, old Jaina Johnson was not the warm, cuddly, let's be friends Spidey we've seen in recent years. Back then, it took a lot to put up with old J.J., let alone be his secretary as Gloria Grant was at this time in the Spidey mythos. Bad enough to be old J.J.'s secretary, let alone be in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, Morbius crashes into the Daily Bugle and promptly kidnaps poor Glory. Truthfully, there's no good reason for Morbius to kidnap Gloria. But it happens that Peter sees Glory being carried off with Morbius. Which gives Peter the opportunity to change the Spider-Man and go off seeking Glory and Morbius. Well, things don't really improve much for Glory. who gets tossed back and forth between Morbius and Spider-Man. But hey, at least it stops raining. Unfortunately, the story is to be continued. Drats! Today's comic book people don't understand what that meant. Back then... There was no guarantees, none, zip, zero, that I would find that next issue at this store or any nearby store. Comic book distribution was absolutely abysmal back then. Hey, a series of winter storms practically wrecked DC's whole line around this time. A big initiative called the DC Explosion. More titles, more pages. They sort of ignored the big jump in price. Hey, it was pretty big for a 10-year-old. The line expansion collapsed and is now infamously known as the DC Explosion. You should check it up. It makes for cool reading. 
back to the two-parter Morbius story. To make matters worse, the cliffhanger ends with, next, the stunning secret of the unbelievable empathoid. And only one, of course. It, only go, it always goes that way. Only one shall survive. So, how does it end? Nuh-uh. I'm not going to give you that information. Next you know, I'm going to get a bunch of haters commenting on how I just spoiled the story. You're going to have to check it out for yourself. Bronze Age comics are great reading. You don't have to be... <clears throat> when people hear Archie comics, they naturally think of kids' comics. I prefer the term all ages because most Archie comics can be entertaining for kids right up to adults. Take Pep Digital 31, The Vampire Saga, which at 100 plus pages does count as a saga. It goes deeper than that as the story pokes around as the then popular Twilight Saga. Oh, did I mention the comic came out in 2012? And I can hear some of the background moaning about how dated and who cares about something so old. But you know what? Any good comic never feels dated, as in the case here. Sure, the jokes are grown-worthy funny. For example, Betty and Veronica get spooked out after seeing the, tra seeing the trailer for Drumroll Please, Cloudy with the Chance of Vampires. It should be known that the whole saga is done in the classic style that has endured for decades. The style makes Archie Comics timeless and, at least for me, like sitting down with an old friend and picking up where you left off, no matter how much time has passed. The story opens with two new students starting at Riverdale High School, Ivan and Jared. While Jared comes off as Mr. Friendly, Ivan, with dark hairs and dark clothes, wants nothing to do with his classmates. Could this new classmate be a vampire? And if he is, does that mean something howling at the moon isn't too far-fetched either? And it would be an Archie spooky story. Okay, let's be fair. It's classic Archie. How spooky can it get? But there's a little romance as one of Archie's girls starts to get a liking to one of the new students. Just a little too much. Overall, what a great read. Like many Archie stories in the line, the story appeals to everyone. Oh wait, we're not done with this particular issue yet. That Twilight and Story only takes up a third of the issue. The rest of the issue contains many more spooky-themed stories starring the Riverdale teens. You even get a Sabrina starring in one of the stories. Not totally convinced, are you? How about a Josie and a Pussycat's Tale? Or, with, or one with little Archie and his friends? Here's the best part. No trick, but a real treat. Every single Archie comic is available to read for free as part of Comics College Unlimited. You know, I really have to get Archie Comics credit for honoring their whole history and going out of the way to cater to new and long-term fans. Archie consistently archives its older titles into a digital format. They do a much better job than either Marvel or DC lately. You owe it to yourself to see what you can discover from Archie, spooky or not-so-spooky comics. Before we wrap up the episode, let's get the answer to that trivia question. Dr. Morbius is a renowned biochemist, as noted way back in Amazing Spider-Man 102 from 1971, which also said he won the Nobel Prize for his scientific work. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you at fantasticcomicfan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time. <laughs>